As I was, uh, sorry, about a month ago, we set the title of this talk to be the greatest story ever told. But as I was, I'll have to drop this in. I was, um, we set it a month ago because um, we, me and my wife had to do a Caribbean cruise in between. <laughs> I've been freezing cold ever since I got back. <laughs> but um, as I was preparing this and talking with God, the, the title changed, and now it's called The Greatest Gift Ever Given. So, can we go on to the next one? Is that all right? So we've got a competition for a box of chocolates to give you a gift. So the question is, how fast does, this is according to US scientists, how fast does Santa travel to deliver all the world's presents on Christmas Eve? And you need to not go to your smartphones. So I'm looking for the answer in terms of miles per second. And I'm going to take one answer from each block. Because otherwise, if we, could, if we get an answer from all of you, we'll run out of time. So, first person to give an answer over here in miles per second. You're thinking, come on. A thousand. Three hundred thousand. You're way off. <laughs> what about this block? Anybody? Six fifty. What about over here? A million. You're, you're even worse off. Seven fifty two. The answer is 650. I don't know if you cheated. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. There we go. If you feel obliged to share them, that's up to you. So, here is a a very um, cultural, nativity, stereotypical nativity scene that, that many of you will see that gets acted out at Christmas year after year after year. The problem is, is it's not very historically accurate. So does anyone know what the inaccuracies are in the picture? And I haven't got any prizes for this. The cats. The cat might not be now. I have no idea. Probably not. Don't know if there were three kings or three wise men. Absolutely. Can you have one answer? <laughs> God, Alan, what was it? Yeah, so, there probably wasn't a stable, is a, is a likely historical inaccuracy that Jesus was probably born in a house. Um, the shepherds and the wise men weren't there at the same time. So, even though it captures some of the Christmas story, there are a lot of historical inaccuracies about this. And the other question you need to ask is, where are the Christmas presents? So at Christmas, we celebrate giving gifts to each other. And the reason we do that is we celebrate God's greatest gift to us. So in the manger, wrapped up in swaddling clothes rather than Christmas paper, is God's gift to us. Don't you ever realize that? So when you exchange Christmas presents over the coming week, what you're celebrating or remembering is that God gave us his son Jesus. That's what Christmas is, is fundamentally all about. So we go to my next slide. It's a very famous verse, John 3:16 in, in the Bible, that said, "For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son." And it's the it's the it's the phrase He gave and He loved that I want to focus on this morning. So when we give each other gifts, God gave us the gift first, and that was Jesus. 
And we could say, there's so many things you could say about what it means for God to give his son Jesus to us. You could say many, many things. But it's his motive of love that I'd like to focus on this morning. I hope that when you go shopping for presents for your loved ones, you think about what they want. You don't buy them socks <laughs> or, or, or whatever else. But we know what it, joking apart, we know what it's like. Some of you will have a love language of gifts, won't you? And hopefully those that love you will, will seek out a very appropriate gift for you. Because love, love is, is very, very important. So I want to pick on, not pick on, that sounds negative. I want to focus on three ways that, sh- that, that illustrates how God loves us. So if you want to go to the next slide. So what did God give us when he loved us in terms of gifts? The first one is identity. You might think that's a strange thing to say or an unusual thing to say. But the question is, is do you know why you have been born? Do you know who you are? Do you know your purpose, your destiny, your reason for living? I do. I know why I'm here, why I've been born, what my destiny is and what God has thought up for me. But I'm sure I don't know it all and there's even more than I think. We live in an identity, sorry, we live in a generation that is, is having an identity crisis. This isn't a political statement, but through the whole process of Brexit, you start to wonder whether we as a country know what our role is in the world or what we think we should be doing and how we should influence and benefit the world. Our country had to define what it meant to be English not too long ago. Starting to wonder about, do we know our identity as a nation? Do we know our God-given destiny? Here's some statistics for you as I was looking, as preparing this message. 37% of teenagers don't know their identity. 90% carry emotional scars. An increasing number of children are confused about their gender and sexuality. The number of children referred to gender identity clinics has quadrupled in the past five years. And this isn't, this isn't a, a dig at the NHS by any means. It's just a, a statistic. The NHS prescribed a record number of antidepressants last year feeling an upward trend that has seen the number of pills given to patients more than double over the last decade. Now, a proportion of those issues in in those statistics will be people don't know who they are. People don't know why they've been born, don't know what their purpose is, don't know what their identity is. Technology has come and bought digital identity, which has brought brought another challenge around who am I? Is my identity online? different to my real identity and you can even have your digital identity stolen and you can have your your normal identity stolen as well if you don't know who you are so the question is is how do we find our true identity there's a church leader in america called uh, rick warren that says this it is only in god that we discover our origin our identity or meaning our, our meaning and our purpose our significance and our destiny. I'll just read that again. It is only in God that we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance and our destiny. The danger is, is if you don't look to your creator 
for any of those things that, that Rick Warren talks about, you're unlikely to discover the full truth of who you are. You can definitely discover some things about you without referencing God or talking to God. For example, there are many psychometric tests that will give you insight into who you are, what shape you are, what you're good at. If you've got loving family members, they will compliment you and draw out some of your strengths and and tell you what you're good at. But fundamentally, God wants to give you your true identity. God wants to tell you who you are, how much he loves you, how unique you are, and why he's created you, and so many other things around that in terms of what what makes you, you. One of my favorite things that I do when I'm out and about just living my life is to get a download from God and share it with people about who they are and what God loves about them. I love turning to a shop assistant after I've bought something and say, do you know what God loves about you? Um, Did that recently in Blue Water. Um, The usual response is you can come back and tell me that as often as you like. Because that just doesn't happen very often, does it? You don't have strangers walk up to you. We were... Oh, sorry, I've got a few cruise stories. We were... <laughs> just because I like to give fresh stories. I've got many stories in my, in my history. But we were at, um, enjoying dinner one evening, and uh, the, wa- the waiter... Sorry, I'm on the way here. The waiter was serving us, and I, and I looked at him and I thought, he's got, a, he's got a strength in his profession. He's not new at what he's doing. He creates an atmosphere of where you feel welcome. He treats you with respect. Um, he's not just doing his job and getting through his day. So we engaged in conversation with him. And um, he said, I've been doing this job 28 years. I don't know how you do that, live on a ship for 28 years. So again, he's, you know, it, it was affirming what God had told me, that, that he'd been doing this a while. And we just started to prophesy over him about what God thought of that, that God loved how he did his job. And I've, I've done this a few times, but I've never seen someone light up like a Christmas tree in their face. And he just came alive. And all through the rest of the cruise, whenever we saw him, he was like that for about a week and a half. And he, 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 it's like his, his, his waitering, if I can use that as a, as, a, as a verb, went up a level. And every time he saw us, he gave us a massive grin. So there's a rumor going around that God doesn't like you, that God is angry with you for all the things you've done wrong and it isn't interested in you but that's just not not the case getting back to Jesus as we're talking about Christmas just give you some examples of how Jesus did this um, Nathaniel was a friend of one of uh, one of the disciples of Jesus and was, was introduced to him and the first thing that Jesus said to him was was here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Would you like your boss to call out that in your character at work? That's the first thing that Jesus said to to Nathaniel, was to affirm his character. It doesn't line up with the rumor that God doesn't like you, does it? That That God is angry with your sin. What about Peter? He was a character in the Bible, one of the disciples. Um, once Jesus said to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So Jesus was describing his strength and his destiny in that one statement, because the word Peter means rock. 
One of the things I often do as well is when I meet people is I ask them what their name is. So Fiona and I were um, at Sainsbury's Cafe not far from here uh, a few weeks ago and we got talking to a girl and, and the Holy Spirit said to me, what's, go ask the girl what her name is and I can't remember what it is now. Rebecca, you're good at this, you remember the details. And went to, on to this, what, do you remember what it means? I should get myself. Helper, sorry. The story's coming to me as I'm standing here. It wasn't in my notes. So, so I started to talk to her about how she was a helper and that that was not a demeaning thing because God describes himself as a helper and that when she helps other people, she's being like God. And she was totally blown away um, by that. And then Fiona got a download about her career and shared that with her. And, and, we, and she started to talk about a dream she had and we prayed that that would become true. God wants you to know how amazing you are. God wants you to know what your destiny is and what your purpose is. He wants you to know how delighted he is with you. Picture the you know, stereotypical story of a small child being thrown up into the air by the parent. All of you that are parents here have done that. I probably did it a few a bit high occasionally. Needed a rescue catch. But God is utterly, utterly delighted with us, whether you would consider yourself as a Christian or not. Just give another example. Um, Mary, mother of Jesus, she was listening to Jesus when he was talking to her in a home privately. And her sister Martha, 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 was aggravated because she was not helping in the kitchen. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Martha was getting upset um, that her sister was not helping in the kitchen. I'm sure those of you cooking Christmas dinner may get a bit, up frust- a bit frustrated if people aren't helping you this Christmas. So you would, you would identify with that. But there was something very, very significant going on in this conversation between Jesus and Mary that you might not fully understand. Because in their day, it was illegal to teach women theology. Women were considered second class. And you've got Jesus who was considered a teacher teaching a woman. And Jesus was affirming her right to sit at his feet as they did in the Jewish culture and be taught that she was valid enough and considered equal with a man to, to receive teaching and to discover who she was in God and what the plans that God had for her. See, we live in a society where, where the value system is not quite right, where people get valued by what they have, as if something external to you can change the value of what you have internal, as if more money can actually change your value or the size of your house or your, your public persona or your, you know, your so-called celebrity, as if your career that you do or the amount of time you get on TV or the exposure you get actually changes the value of who you are as a human being. It's just simply not the case. Or your gender or the color of your skin or the nation that you come from has nothing, can, can do nothing to do with changing the value that God has for you. On our, on our last hour of the cruise ship, which is the worst hour of the cruise ship, when you're waiting for your, your bus to be called to go back to the airport, it's going to cry then. <laughs> um, 
this, these four people from the West Country with their West Country accents came and sat next to us and we got talking to them and this lady started talking to us because um, she had mentioned that we were part of a church and had got babies, all these lovely people had babysitted for us for two weeks so we could go away um, and she was quite moved by that and uh, she, she started, um, they started to um, talk about their mum, her mum uh, and what a stellar Christian she was and, and was amazed and impacted by this woman and she told us loads of things she used to do and um, um, how she used to pray every day and she was obviously baptised in the spirit and, and this story all came out of this lady and I started reading a book while I was on the cruise by someone called Sean Boltz who many of you will know is a prophetic name and as I was reading this book every time I sat next to someone or on a sunbed or in a restaurant God would give me names and this went on for about a week and a half and I thought I'm never going to know if the names of, that I'm hearing are the names of the people I'm sitting next to unless I ask them. Because it works like that, doesn't it? You need, need to take a risk when you hear God. And as I'm sitting next to these people from the West Country, I get the names um, Janet and Bob. So I said to this lady, do, you, do the names Janet and Bob mean anything to you? And she thought very hard for a while, and she goes, no, I don't know any couples that are called Janet or, and Bob. And I suddenly had this realisation that she was looking for a pattern of those two names together. And I said, well, does either of the names mean anything to you? And she goes, oh, yes, my name's Janet. (laughs) Um, Bob didn't mean anything at the time, but I'm taking 50%. Um, And I said to her, God knows who you are. See, a lot of people don't know that. That God knows your name. Because you're God's idea and God's design. I better move on because I'll get, I'll get I'll just on that one point. So I'm on to my next slide, please. So, for God so loved the world that he gave healing. So we're talking about physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. We're talking about miraculous healing in terms of God doing it in the moment or speeding up the natural healing process. See, when God looks at the world, he says, God so loved the world. So when he looks at the world, with all its amazing things that go on, it, but also its brokenness and its pain, God's response was not to be distant, but to say, I'm going to bring supernatural healing. I could tell you stories of how God has uh, healed just in my family. I used to have astigmatism, 2003, God healed that went to the opticians and have now normal eyesight. So we're not even talking. So, and I share that story because God is interested in the small things as well as the big things. But for me, that was quite a big thing because when, when I looked into you know, my wife's eyes or my children's eyes or the people that are close with, I, I, could see the pu- I could see my own eyes or my pupil reflecting back in their eyes. I'd never seen that before. So it became a real big thing for me, that healing. Um, one of my sons um, had an ENT problem when he was preschool. And he wasn't developing his speech. And his younger brother was speaking better than him. Um, and we, I went off to a church in Nigeria. I won't give you the full story because I haven't got time. And we, uh, the, the, one of the, we, we prayed about it there. And somebody prayed over a handkerchief and we put it under my son's pillow. And his development went from where he was to where he should have been. So you're talking about 12 to 18 months to missing development in three months. Just by sleeping on this handkerchief. And it was like watching, because I've got a number of children, you've seen how they develop. It was was like watching a fast-forward video of your child developing day by day by day by day for three months. And you could ask why God didn't do it in the moment. But to watch that was profound. 
and did my heart a very, very good. Um, another cruise story. I'm not doing this to make you jealous. I generally want to show you that God is so up to date. I judge truly. Truly, I do. Um, we met a lady on the, I think the day, about right at the end of the cruise, who, an older lady that had fallen out of her, fallen out of the, um, bathroom. And her leg had, and her ankle had completely swollen. And she'd been like this for nearly two weeks. And we prayed for her at the dinner table. And then the next morning, um, as I was off, uh, walking around a cruise ship, I bumped into her just by chance. Um, and she, she said, and we said, how's your ankle? Well, I said, how's your ankle? Because Fiona wasn't there. And she goes, it's so much better. And I could see from her ankle that the swelling had gone down overnight. And you've got to remember, she's been like this for two weeks. It didn't just go down naturally. And she goes, I need to talk to your wife because it was Fiona that prayed. And can I take her home with me? <laughs> see, when, when God touches your body, it changes your perspective on who he is. And this woman was full of affection for us, or particularly for Fiona. Fiona and I ran an alpha course for about 10 years, uh, some time ago. And, and, people would, and, it, and the course is about people that were looking into Christianity and they come along with all their hard questions and they explore Christianity over a period of 10 weeks. And we, in the course, towards the end, we would pray for people and they'd be miraculously healed. And we noticed how people's questions changed. So what we did is we changed the order and did that right near the beginning. And when, when people that aren't Christians get healed... Their questions change because God isn't a concept anymore. Um, and we learnt to demonstrate the reality of God at the beginning so people would then have a chance of finding God before the end of the course. I had a dream before I went on the cruise that I would meet someone in a wheelchair regularly through um, the cruise and that we were to pray for her to be healed. We were literally on the plane um, and we were, we were in, I work for an airline, so I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to flying, I have to apologise. And we were sitting in Premier, and they brought this, and we were just at the back of the, we, Fiona and I were standing at the back of the cabin because we'd been sitting down for so long, we wanted to stretch our legs. And this lady, and, and from economy, they brought this girl in a wheelchair and literally bumped into us. And you just start to think, and your brain starts to wake up, this could be God's moment. And then when, when she'd been to the toilet, she came out uh, with her mum, and there was a cabin crew, and, and she immediately created some rapport with Fiona and got talking to her and then she went back to sit down in economy and I, I, it took me about five minutes to wake up because we were out really early and it was a bit of a hectic to the airport and we were flying for a number of hours and I thought this could be the girl and I got a bigger conviction grew on me so I, so I let, left my seat went through the, the curtain into economy you know breaking cultural norms <laughs> very brave of me and um, ignored the staff on the, on the airline and um, went to say to her, I had a dream about meeting somebody and we found out she had MS and I shared that with her and her parents and we said if you want us to pray for you on the cruise, if we bump into you we'll do that and we bumped into her six or seven times and there's 3,000 passengers on this cruise ship all right? and and we got to pray for her and we found out that um, she was diagnosed with MS on her 21st birthday she was an up-and-coming actress. She was in two of the Harry Potter films, the early Harry Potter films. And um, she hadn't seen a change um, before we, after, um, after the, before we, uh, during the cruise. But she had hope in her eyes. And I'm, I'm still praying for her, that, that God will touch her. 
I want to give you two more stories as well, because I think testimonies create expectation. Two of the stories that stay with me over the years I've been praying, so I've been praying probably for 20, 30 years, are actually amongst ex-drug addicts. Um, Fiona and I spent some time with a lady called Jacqueline Pullinger in Hong Kong for a few weeks in our late 20s, and we prayed for some drug addicts um, that were going through a rehabilitation program. And we prayed for a number of... And it was, it's difficult because you don't speak their language and everything's done through a translator because uh, of Cantonese. So you don't know what's going on and you don't know how they're responding or whether God heals them. But uh, we prayed for some of them and then about half an hour later I, I went to go into the, the toilet um, where we were. And this guy comes in, who was one of the ones we prayed for, and his nose was running and he was crying. And it's awkward in a, in a urinal situation for men because you don't often talk to strangers next to you. But I felt compelled. So I, <laughs> so I asked him, why was he crying? And he says, my nose is running for the first time for years because he damaged it through snorting cocaine. It's profound, isn't it? That, was, that blew me away in my 20s. That wasn't my normal Christian experience then. Um, there was a guy, again, probably about five or six years ago, who'd, who'd, who was on an alpha course and he'd... Um, uh, was was in a rehabilitation house locally to where we live. And we, I was queuing for coffee at church after a meeting, and he I mean, was just talking to him. He's a lovely, lovely guy. And he says, I've just been diagnosed with hepatitis in the blood. I can't tell you what, what letter it is. B, was it B? You remember? Fiona remembers the details. And he said, I've got to go back next week to the doctor for a week, for, in, in about a week and a half because they've got to do another blood test to determine whether I need six or 12 months treatment for my blood. And I don't, I'm not medical, and I don't know what that involves, but he didn't want to go through that treatment. So I've got a, got a couple of friends, and we prayed for him that he wouldn't have to go through this treatment. He goes back to the doctor a week and a half later, and there's no trace of hepatitis in his blood. Okay. Healing is normal for God. It's not specially at Christmas or at birthdays. It's his everyday thing that he wants to do. And he doesn't withhold it. It's freely available. It says in the Bible that people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness. And laying his hands on one, on, on each one, sorry, he healed them. It says in multiple times when Jesus healed, he healed everybody that came to him. There aren't special people that qualify for healing or don't qualify. And another profound story in, in, in Luke. There was a man with leprosy. and He was in a town where Jesus was. And he fell on his face to the ground and begged him. So you've got leprosy was a socially excluded disease. It's probably similar to something called AIDS, like AIDS or diseases where people get removed from normal society. Very, very horrible disease. And this is what he said, because he doesn't, he's heard about Jesus, but he doesn't really know what he's like. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be clean, which is an important word in the Jewish culture around leprosy. And immediately, the leprosy left him. If you're a visitor here this morning, or you're, you're not a Christian, you probably know things about Jesus, but you may not know what he's really like. And Jesus is very willing to heal you. The Bible talks about as well that he had compassion on them, sorry, on those that were ill and healed them. 
So it was out of compassion and love that he was moved. When we talk about healing as well, just to finish this point, we don't just mean about the body or the mind or the, or the, or, or the spirit or anything. It's also that, that healing can come to areas of your life. Like if you have relationships that are broken down, God can heal those. If you've lost money unjustly, God can restore that. If your reputation has been un, unfairly damaged, God can restore that. And he can bring peace and hope and justice. God wants to come into your life and, and, and change it powerfully. Let's go on to my last point, because I'm running out of time. It's like time goes slowly when, or quick when you stand up here. So, probably the, the most profound out of the three points this morning, in terms of what God gave the world when he loved it, was adoption. Now, in our, in our culture, I don't know how you view adoption. Because adoption is usually in the context of a child that's not wanted, or a child that their parents have, you know, maybe died. Um, and there's no one to look after them. And somebody, out of the goodness of their, their heart, decides to bring in and look after that child. So, you know, and if you've been adopted, it might have been a positive or a negative experience. Um, but adoption in this context is, is 100% positive. This is what Jesus says. It says, To all who receive him, and that's receiving God, to all those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will. We live in a, a culture that is a bit obsessed with rights at times. Um, if you have teenagers, they think they have rights to everything. That was just for my children's benefit. <laughs> I'm being completely unfair. Um, but the greatest right that you have as a human being, let's talk about, don't we, a bill of human rights, is the, is the one that God has given you to be adopted by him into his family. That's the greatest right that you have as a human being. And he's done all the hard work to make it happen. And a lot of that is, is caught up in the Easter message about how that comes about. And it's a decision that God leaves to you. It says here, it's born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, because in the Jewish culture the husband was in, uh, had authority over the, the wife. And that's why it's written in there that it's not a husband's will. But it's, it's a decision and an offer that God gives to every one of you. So when you're giving your presence again at Christmas, be thinking about the right that God has given you to be part of his family. Um, and I was asked at school, or in the context of bullying, he, we often have the joke that my dad's bigger than your dad. Do you remember that? Maybe some of you still use that. But when, you, when, when we talk about being adopted, we're talking about a good father. Not, not an angry father, or a distant father, or an inconsistent father, or a father that doesn't always get it right. We're talking about a father that defines love. We're talking about being adopted by a father that defines love. So he doesn't just live it and model it. He is love, by definition. He's a God that provides. So your future is not determined by your income or your bank balance. That is amazing, isn't it? It's profound. A provider that will support you every day. I wake up every morning in the tangible presence of God. When I get into a different, difficult situation, God moves my heart and reminds me that he's with me. 
God encourages me. He protects me. If you're talking about being adopted into the, to, to the greatest dad in history. It's not like getting an upgrade from your current family. So you might look around the church and you might go, I bet they're a great dad. I'd love to be, oh, I wish I was part of their family. And that person you look at here might be a great dad, it might be a superb dad, but we're talking about a God that, you know, defines fatherhood. I need to finish. So, so, so John 17 says, now this is eternal life, that you would know, or know intimately, know closely, you, the only true God. When I talk with non-Christians, most non-Christians think eternal life is about when you die, or when you go to heaven, which is part of the answer. But that's not how the Bible defines eternal life. That's in there. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not. But it talks about knowing God. So being a Christian is about being adopted into his family and having conversation and having an intimate, close, I don't mean intimate sexually, I mean a close, like, like a good brother or sister or, or a mother or father relationship. Knowing God personally like a friend. That's what it means to be adopted. So for me, that's what I remember at Christmas. That I have been adopted, that I am so loved, I am so valued. And that God is my daddy. And I'm his friend. That's why he can talk, that's why he talks to me. It's why I get names of people. It's why when I'm out and about, I get downloads. Because God shares his, shares with his friends what he's doing. Just to finish off this point, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me or seen Jesus has seen the Father. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus is the best example that you can have. Because he's one with the Father. So if you want to know more about Jesus, I'm very willing to talk to you today. Or you could just maybe take a New Year's resolution to read maybe Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the Bible. Find out more what he's really like. I'm going to hand over to Fiona. Is that all right? Just to finish off. So we just kind of had it in our heart that there were three groups of people to give you the opportunity to respond today. So have you ever heard of what God thinks about you? Has anybody ever come and laid hands on you and prayed for you and said to you, do you know this is what God thinks of you? Okay, we can do that for you this morning. There's loads of people that can do that. So if you'd like to hear that this morning, come over here and we'll pray for you. The second group of people, do you need healing today? We've shared some healing stories with you this morning and that Jesus is willing. So if you need prayer for that, come and get that this morning. And thirdly, if you're here this morning and you don't really think of yourself as a Christian or a churchgoer and you want to find out more, Come and speak to us today as well.